Hi, my name is Jana Metzger. Welcome to the Gospel House. Our mission here at the Gospel House is to show the world that the gospel of Jesus Christ is enough. That in the gospel, we can find all of our deepest needs met as the entire church responds to and applies the implications of the gospel. We would love to show it with you. Check out our website, www.thegospel.house, where you can learn more about us, find out how to connect with us, ask questions, see when and where our next meeting is, and give to help advance the gospel message of Jesus Christ. We are going to jump right in here, uh, because we have got a big one today. (laughs) Uh, God is stirring. That's a good thing. We want to be excited about that. But there's a problem um, that we have with God stirring. When God moves, it requires movement in us as well, right? And a lot of times that movement isn't fun. We've been in this James sermon series, right? I don't know that anybody out there would be like, yay, this has been fun, right? When you read the book of James, you're not reading it thinking, this is fun, right? It, it, it brings some to it, right? James has got some gut punches thrown. I've heard from a lot of you. <laughs> that sermon last week was a real gut punch. Sorry, y'all, right? But we're not going to shy away from it. And I, I, I will tell you, typically my sermon, planning, whatever, I plan out a sermon series. Uh, on Mondays, I kind of put together like the bones of the of the sermon, and then on Wednesdays, I really dig in and like crack down. But Wednesday, I felt this overwhelming burden in me, and and like on Tuesday, God had just like grabbed a hold of me and was just like stirring this word, and and you know I think it's Jeremiah, who who says like this the word of the Lord, it, you know it's like a fire shut up in my bones, and it just like when you when you get this word, it's just got to come out. And so on Wednesday, I was like, man, I, I think I just got to scrap the James thing. I think I just got to get rid of it and, and throw it out. Um, but then God told me, Jeremy, read James 4. <laughs> and so I read it and was like, oh, yeah, this is exactly what I was going to say. <laughs> Doesn't he have a funny way of doing that? But, but he brought the pieces together. And I love it when God does that because lots of times when he does that, when he brings these pieces together, I like it because he hits me in a way that I don't understand, and that's a good way of me knowing that it's not my word, right? Because when he takes me in a direction I wasn't planning on going, it's like, okay, God, this is yours. Like, let's, let's do this. So that's kind of how this all happened. But this is such a word that God's planted in me. We're going to talk about it at our annual business meeting next week, advertisement for the annual business meeting next week. But next week after service, members, we have things to vote on. Please show up. But even if you're not a member, please show up so you can see how things go business-wise here at the Gospel House and how we do that. But we're also going to be talking about what the Gospel House wants to be about in 2023. And so uh, please join us for that, whether you're a member here or not. But this is what God has given me for this division of, of, for the Gospel House in 2023. It's what God is speaking to me in my own quiet time. It's really where I think God is trying to get his church to go. But here's the problem. If we are going to go God's way, or what am I going to say, right? We can't go God's way, man's way, right? It is going to come at a steep cost. And that cost starts now. There come moments in our life, in our walk as a Christian, where God draws a line in the sand, right? Jesus with the adulterous woman, you know, we all like to go to that verse when we're talking about, oh, don't judge others, right? But, but Jesus draws a line in the sand, right? Before the Pharisees are about to stone this woman. And what's he saying? He tells these Pharisees, okay, you can do it man's way but I'm telling you what God's way is. Today, and, and it started for me on Wednesday, that's the one thing I tell you guys, This, if, if it hurts, it hurt me first, <laughs> right? Because I got to write all this stuff. I, I'm, as I'm putting it together, these are, I, I am speaking to you 
what God is speaking to me. All right? So if it hurts, I promise you, it hurt me first. So my road started Wednesday. I actually texted out to, to our board, uh, to Jana, you know, to, to you know, my, my prayer group, people who pray for me. Um, not everybody who prays for me, because I hope all of you are praying for me at some time or another. But, so I didn't text everybody, but I texted and I said, guys, this sermon feels different. It just feels different, and I can't explain it. But there's, it's, it's like my life on Wednesday, I can't keep going the way I've been going. Something in me has to change. And, and when I preach this today, Gospel House Church, something in us has to change. So I want to give you an out I don't do this often, but I want to give you an out. If you're watching online, if you're listening to the stream on the podcast, that's none of you all here, I'm looking at you, so this is awkward, but just turn it off. Just turn off the podcast, turn off the stream, turn it off, because it is better for you to be able to claim ignorance than it is for you to hear God's word and refuse to walk in the truth. If you are here in person, it's a little more awkward because you've actually got to stand up and walk out. But just do this. Like, pretend you got to go to the bathroom. My brother Jake does it all the time. He's always signing he's got to go to the bathroom whenever he wants to get out of a situation. If you got some water or coffee, just spill a little on your pants. Nobody's going to judge you, right? Waltz right out the doors. Hang out until fellowship time. If you forgot to bring something to eat, go get something really good. That'll excuse you from not being here. But guys, legit, God's word is truth. If you are going to claim to be a disciple of Jesus Christ, you cannot hear the truth and then walk contrary to it. If we're going to be his people, his church, then this is truth today we cannot ignore. We've got to be about it. We cannot listen and not change everything. I can't preach this and not change everything. If we're going to talk about it, we've got to be about it, right? Everybody get the heavy gulp out of the way. Try to swallow that stone. It's not going to go down. It'll be there the whole service. So here we go. Before we get into today, I want to review last week because this really sets up our foundation. We talked about this. I stole this from my father-in-law. Uh, this is really what he says a disciple of Jesus is. When we disciple with other people, uh, this is what we should be discipling them to do. But all of life, all of life as a disciple of Jesus is to give our thoughts, our words, and our deeds to him entirely to him. That's what faith is, right? Faith is walking in Jesus. It's trusting in Jesus. So discipling, being a Christian, being a disciple of God is running all of these things, thought, word, and deed through faith in Jesus Christ. Your thoughts, your words, and your deeds, that constitutes all of you, right? Because where your thoughts, where your words, where your deeds are, that's where you are, right? There's nothing else. So it requires all of you, which means we must give Jesus all of us. Nothing is off limits, right? Because as it turns out, all of you is a prerequisite before we can draw near to God, which is what we're talking about today. So you say you believe in God, then you've got to draw near to him. The problem that we have faced is that the church in the Western world has developed a really messed up, non-biblical way of drawing near to God. It's so what our church, current church culture teaches. We actually taught on this uh, in a sermon series last year called Why Revival Tarries. But we talked about a lot of these ideas in the Western church of what revival is. And the fact when God, biblically speaking, when we look at the Bible, when revivals happen, they very rarely look like what we call revival. We call revival worship nights and emphatic praise and jumping up and down and all this stuff. 
but that's not what the Bible says drawing near to God looks like. And you can tell how much this assaults us, this idea of biblically drawing near to God, because when we read James, this tricky, pesky little passage of James, there's going to be some stuff in there that's like, whoa, 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 wait, what? What'd you say, James? We're going to get there, but it's, it's going to hit you. I'm, I'm telling you right now, it's, it's one of those boom, just punch to the face, right? Because it's th- when we think of, okay, I'm going to draw near to God. We th- Whoa, that's not drawing near to God. Drawing near to God's tambourines and glory flags and ribbon dancers, right? That's what it looks like. But that's not what the Bible says. So how do we draw near to God God's way, right? That's the question we've got to ask because you can't draw near to God man's way, right? And here it is. We are going to look first at the problem of drawing near to God. Why can't we? But then when we dig into that, we're going to find that there's actually a problem with the problem that we're going to talk about. Then we're going to look at the solution, but then when we dig into that, we're going to see that there's actually a solution to the solution that we need to cover first. So we're going to dive into all of these things and draw near to God. So first, what is the problem? What does James in chapter 4 tell us is the problem? And he says this, What is the source of quarrels and conflicts among you? Is not the source your pleasures that wage war in your members? You lust and do not have, so you commit murder. You are envious and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask with the wrong motives, so that you may spend it on your pleasures. What's the problem? You. (laughs) And that's where we lose half of our congregation. Nobody likes hearing that, right? What is James saying here? Maybe you're the problem, right? You guys all know those friends. None of you, you're not the friend, right? It's not you, it's your friend, right? But they always come and there's always a problem with somebody else. There's always a problem with a different friend. There's always a problem with a different group. There's always a problem. Maybe you're the problem. You don't say that to them because that hurt their feelings, right? But maybe you should say that to them because that's what James is saying, right? Those boxing gloves came off. They came off a long time ago, like two chapters ago, and he's just bare knuckle going at it, right? You're the problem. You are the problem. Go through and look at this. This is three verses. Look at how many times you or your shows up, right? Over and over and over again. What is the source of quarrels and conflicts among you? You, your pleasures. You lust because you don't have. You're envious, right? It's your problem. We are the reason. We are the source of quarrels and conflict and fighting and sin. See, Christians, especially the more charismatic we get, we've gotten really good at blaming the devil for all of our problems, haven't we? You guys have all heard that. Oh, the devil made me do it, right? And it's cute and cheeky. But too many charismatic Christians legit feel that way which is really ironic because when it comes to doing good deeds then sign me up that was all me nope holy spirit help nope uh -uh. it was all me i did it i did that come on jesus gold stars where are they but then when we screw it up no that wasn't me that was the devil i mean the devil came in y'all as a child of god jesus christ paid for you with his blood the devil literally cannot make you do anything Stop it. Stop it. Spiritual attack, spiritual warfare. Oh, he just took over and I started saying stuff. And Stop. If you are a child of God, there's no cohabitation. Holy Spirit doesn't dwell with evil stuff. It's not how it works. Devil got the boot, right? You guys read that part in the Bible? He lost the war, right? The devil cannot make you do it. Can the devil tempt you? absolutely he can he can dangle the fruit but you are the one who grabs it you are the one who eats it take ownership 
You're the problem. Does it stink that you're being tempted? Absolutely. But God always gives you a way out, right? So who are you listening to? The devil who's telling you to take a bite or the Holy Spirit who is saying, this is the way out, Jeremy. Hey, knucklehead, I'm over here. Come this way, come this way, come this way, right? But the fact of the matter is the temptation looks good, doesn't it? And the devil doesn't trick us with outright lies. He tricks us with half-truths, right? Did God really say, right? And so we sneak. We talked about this with James. We like to make black and white gray, don't we? Because I can live in gray. I can do that. And then all that stuff that I justify, it fits in gray. Oh, well, if I do this, oh, well, if I do this, it's okay. But the fact of the matter is, you want and you don't have. So you do what it takes to get it, right? I mean, come on, do some soul searching, even if it's not that bad. You want, but you don't have, so you do what it takes to get it. You envy, and you can't get it, so you fight and quarrel and judge and backstab and gossip to get there. But you don't have because you don't ask. And if you do ask, you're asking with messed up motives. You're asking so that you can become greater and he can become less. Jeez, when you say it like that. But that's the root of it, isn't it? Isn't that our problem today? This is going to shock some of you all. You're going to have much less respect for me. Some of you know this, but when I was in high school, I actually thought I was going to be a famous country music singer. Yes, it's true. Have you guys, some of you were unfortunate enough to know me back then. Jan was the fool who still married me, so shame on her. But uh, you can probably still hear the twang come out every once in a while when I sing. But here's the deal. I, I legit, I, I prayed about it, y'all. I, you know, I was going to be a country music singer. I prayed. I was like, God, if, if you make me a famous country music singer, when I get famous, I promise you, Lord, I am, you guys remember CDs, compact discs? You guys remember those? Yeah? And in uh, these compact discs, they had the little inserts in them that, like, you, you know, you could open up and had the lyrics of the songs because there was no such thing as Google, so you couldn't Google it. Actually, there probably was, but nobody had computers. So you couldn't Google it, but so I, I promise. So at the end of all those little pamphlets, there's always the thank you section, right? Thank you to my publishers and da-da-da, my husband, da-da. Always, God, if, if you get me this, I'm going to put the biggest thank you in my pamphlet for you. You're going to get the biggest thank you of anybody. And so on my CD, there's going to be millions of people buying my CD about drinking beer and, and doing all sorts of stuff with women and my car and my tr or my truck and my dog dying and, you know, all the country stuff. But you're going to get a thank you, right? And we all laugh because I'm not airing your dirty laundry. But that's what we do, isn't it? We ask and we don't have. Because we say, God, make me look great. And when you do, I'll give you the leftovers. God, make me something. And I'll use that fame to give you what's left. Right? Which is a dangerous preposition to make to a God who says in the book of Isaiah, I am the Lord. That is my name. I will not give my glory to another, nor my praise to graven images. But that's our human nature. And unfortunately, the church today doesn't seem to have a very big problem with it. It is preached from pulpits across America. Make your plans. Create your core values. Craft the life that you want for you and your family. You will be successful, as successful as you want, and God will bless those plans, is preached from too many pulpits in America today. 
Go, become rich and famous. Become successful in this world. And then if you have time, ask God to come along for the ride in the passenger seat. If you haven't already shoved him in the trunk because he keeps saying stuff you don't like. And along the way, I think if we take a look, that's exactly where we've put God. Because Jesus teaches these black and white issues that we don't want to hear. And so we're like little children. La, 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 la. Can't hear you, Jesus. Get in the trunk, Jesus. I don't want to hear it. I am crafting my future. And when I get to the top, I'll give you some. But until then, it's my pie. That's a dangerous place to be. And it really exposes the problem. The problem with the problem is that we refuse to identify that there is a problem. We've convinced ourselves that we can have our cake and eat it too. In the church, we've convinced ourselves that God himself is okay with us pursuing this American dream. God wants you to be the best version of yourself, right? Wrong. God wants you to be like Jesus, not like Jeremy. He wants you to be the best version of him, and he's given you the Holy Spirit to make that happen. But I'd rather do it Jeremy's way. What does James say? You adulteresses, heavy do you not know that friendship with the world is hostility toward god therefore whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of god black and white jesus we talk, we've talked about this every week but james pairs his teaching so closely with jesus especially with the Sermon on the Mount, with the, with the Beatitudes and everything. And in that it, Sermon on the Mount, Jesus teaches this exact thing. He phrases it a little different, right? But he says, man cannot serve two masters, right? For he will either love one and hate the other, or he'll respect one and despise the other. Man cannot serve God and Yeah, wealth. He uses the word wealth. And, and here's, this is, I love this, because it's what we do, right? He uses this Greek word mammon, right? You guys have probably all heard sermons on that. And my guess is the majority of those sermons you've heard have tr done their darndest to find a gray, haven't they? Because they'll say, well, it's not wealth that God doesn't like. It's the worship of wealth. That's what mammon means. It's the Greek word, and it breaks down. You know, you don't care about what the Greek says until it gets you out of something uncomfortable. But that's what, that, that mammon, it's not just talking about wealth or the worship of wealth. It's talking about the worship of a lifestyle, which isn't just wealth. It's the way to get to wealth, right? Which includes prestige and power and success and fame. It's a lifestyle, which includes what? What's James saying here? Friendship with the world. There's no gray here. Friendship with the world is hostility toward God. You cannot be friends with God and the world. Yet, what do we see across the American church today? Buddy Jesus, right? Come on, guys. Buddy Jesus, he just loves hugs. Right? He's best friends with the world. But if you make yourself a friend of the world, you make yourself an enemy of God. Tell me if you've heard it before. There's two ways to do this, right? Man's way and God's way. Friendship with God cannot be friendship with the world. And any of the shades of gray in between. What's Jesus say? 
wide is the path that leads to destruction. That means as soon as that black starts turning a little bit white, or if you'd prefer Jesus to be white, as soon as that white starts to turn a little black, right? As soon as any shade starts happening, it becomes the wide. Friendship with God is the narrow road. And it's what Jesus commands. So why don't we do it? Why are we obsessed with trying to straddle this fence and stay on both sides? And I think that's the biggest problem that we have in the church today. This is what God just hit me with. The fact of the matter is we are in too deep. You know, it's like the gambling addict who just keeps gambling, right? I, I got to make it back somehow. I'm in too deep now. I got to keep going. And the church is the exact same way. We have built our entire lives around this lie. And to come to the truth now, we would have to give absolutely everything up everything that we have worked so hard to build everything and there is no way that a loving god would ask us to do that right right i mean i built all of this for him didn't i you know who else said the exact same thing the pharisees and the sadducees and the scribes and the teachers, the Jews of Jesus' day that refused to recognize him as Messiah. These guys saw miracles, y'all. Crazy miracles. Jesus healing people born blind. I mean, that had never been done, ever. Healing people born blind. Healing people born lame. Raising people up. Raising people from the dead, right? They saw all of it. They had access to it. When Jesus taught the scriptures, he taught in such a way that his authority silenced critics. His authority silenced demons and evil spirits. No one had come around in hundreds of years who flexed on these evil spirits like Jesus did, who showed command over man and nature. Nobody. And yet the Pharisees and Sadducees, these high-level, important Jews, refused to believe it. And why? We actually see it really clearly in a character in the Gospels known as the rich young ruler. From Matthew 19. It says this, And someone came to him and said, Teacher, what good thing shall I do that I might obtain eternal life? And he said to him, Why are you asking me about what is good? There is only one who is good. But if you wish to enter into life, keep the commandments. Then he said to him, Which ones? And Jesus said, You shall not commit murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. The young man said to him, All these things I have kept, what am I still lacking? Jesus said to him, If you wish to be complete, go and sell your possessions and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come, follow me. But when the young man heard this statement, he went away grieving, for he was one who owned much property. Why do so many Christians, so many churches, struggle with this concept? Struggle with so many concepts that Jesus gives us is black and white. It's the same reason that these powerful and influential Jewish men refused to recognize that Jesus was the Messiah. They had invested too much. They had spent their entire lives studying, working, doing the work, doing the things that... that Jewish rabbis were supposed to do to the point where they had finally reached the top. And then this Jesus comes around and says, guys, you got it all wrong. 
you've been doing it for all the wrong reasons. Just like this rich young ruler. He owned a lot of property. He had a lot of possessions. Look, I'm sure he worked hard for it, right? I don't, he didn't just inherit it, it, you know, I guess it doesn't tell us how he made his money, but it tells us he was sad about it. He had worked hard for this. He had gathered all of this stuff, and doggone it, it was his. I worked for this, Jesus. This is mine. And how many of us treat the blessings of God the same way? Look, God, I know I'm blessed. I know you've given me this stuff. I know I'm blessed with this house and this car and this, but these are mine. You gave them to me. They're mine. And that's not how God works. Because Jesus confronted this rich young ruler, just like he's confronting each and every one of us right now, and says, if you're truly going to follow me. You are mine. All of you. He said the same thing to the Pharisees and scribes and Sadducees and teachers. Give up your way and come share in mine. Give up your influence and come share in mine. Give up your power and come share in mine. But they had worked too hard to get where they are. They had advanced on their wisdom. They had paid their dues. And they did it all for God, right? And we say the same thing, don't we? God, why can't I be friends with the world? Friendship with the world equals more converts to you, right? Do all things as if to all people so I might win one, right? And in man's logic, that math works, doesn't it? More people, more people get to heaven. But that's never been God's logic. God has never been concerned with more people, right? We see it clearly in Jesus, Jesus was never swayed by the popular vote. He never was never wooed by friendship with the world. He was never wooed by popularity or power or influence. He always kept those things at arm's length. He stayed his entire life. He stayed poor, without cultural influence, without power. But look at the riches and influence and power that God gave him. See, we can't get there because we won't start the walk with him. We won't start the process because we got to let go over here to go down this path. But Jesus says, he never, ever, ever says, give up everything to come into oblivion and get nothing. That's not Jesus. Jesus says, give up everything and come share in what I have for you. Do you see it? Come share, come share, come share. The God of the universe is offering to share everything he has with you. But we won't let go of what's here and now. We just read in the Bible in a year plan the story of, uh, of uh, Jacob and Esau, right? right? And, and Esau trades his entire inheritance because he's hungry for a bowl of soup. And we look at him and say, what an idiot. <laughs> and God's throwing rocks at our heads saying, wake up, dummy. You're Esau. You're not Jacob in this story. Because you will not let go of this world that is so fleeting and temporary to embrace your eternal inheritance that I have given to you. Too many times, y'all, I have traded my inheritance in Jesus Christ for a bowl of soup. 
because I've got these pet sins that I won't let go of. For what? For what? So that our podcast here can be more popular? So that our YouTube channel can get more likes? So that these seats can be full and we can move to two services? Who cares? Give me Jesus. Give me Jesus. God has never once asked us to become popular. Old or New Testament, there is no such thing as a popular prophet. You guys notice that when you read the Old Testament? Right? The real prophets of God are never popular. You know who the popular prophets are? The false ones, right? You want to be a prophet and you're getting this huge following and trucking along? I'd look out because when I read the Bible, that's not good. The real prophets are the ones who ticked everybody off, right? That's what I'm trying to do here. I'm trying to tick you off. Not really. I'm trying to speak what Jesus is speaking to me. But God's ask of us is consistent. Give up all of you, but you get all of me. That's the call of Jesus, y'all. And it's also the solution. We have presented the problem. The heading for this chapter of James in my Bible says, in, in this Bible, it's NASB, it says, things to avoid. That's what the heading is. And that's great. Probably the reason that when we read the book of James, we assume that it's a bunch of legalism, right? But there's a problem with that. Headings, so just so you know, headings, we believe that all scripture is inspired and breathed by the Holy Spirit. It is, it is inerrant. There is no flaw. There is nothing wrong with this. There can be errors in translation. There can be errors in the headings of your Bibles. Headings are not covered in the inspired part of the word. And actually, if I had my guess, I would say I doubt James would label this chapter of his as things to avoid. Because that's what legalism is, right? Legalism tells us what we have to do. Legalism tells us the things that we have to avoid, things we aren't allowed to do. But if James were to head this title, I think he would head it, Draw Near to God. Because it's not a list of things that we have to do. It's a list of how we get to him. A list of what that looks like when we draw near to him. This is what he says, starting in verse 5. He says, Or do you think that the scriptures speak to no purpose? He jealously desires the spirit which he has made to dwell in us. Put a star next to that one. But he gives us a greater grace. Therefore, it says, God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. First step, humility. Right? If we're talking about drawing near to God, humility. Remember that. Underline it. Whatever it takes. Humility. Submit, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. You guys, some of you know this about me, but I have a pet peeve when it comes to Bible verses. I don't like scripture taken out of context. Really hate that. I also don't like what drives me even more bananas is when people take half verses of the Bible because they don't like what the second half has to say. Right? I've got my top ten list. This might be number two. It gets right up there. Because we take verse seven, and we take verse eight, and we like half of each of those, and so we jam them together, and that's kind of like one verse, right? Wrong. That's not how we do it. Because we love, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Right? I love that, because then it puts the ball in my court. I resist the devil. Yeah, what's up, devil? Now you got to flee from me. That's not what it says. Because we don't like that we have to submit to God. Right? 
Because if I submit to God, it's not Jeremy's way, right? And if the devil's fleeing, guess what, y'all? He's not fleeing from Jeremy. He's fleeing because I'm surrendered to God. Because as soon as I surrender, who fills this boat? The Holy Spirit, right? And who's the devil running from? Not me, right? We don't like that first part because it requires submission to God. What's humility in our walk with God require? It requires submission to him. The humble man or woman submits to God. And then this next one drives me absolutely bananas. Draw near to God and he'll draw near to you. Right? Hobby Lobby. Right? Come on, you all have the signs. Or you get your Christian Hallmark greeting cards. They've got this in there. They don't put that second part. Come on, man. Who wants to be comforted that way? Right? I, I mean, le- like legit. D- d- do some of us, did, I, I'm curious if like, do people know that those verses come right after that? That it's all in that verse? Did you guys know that? I mean, it's not, I'm not, you're not going to get like a ruler on the fist if you didn't know it. Like, as this isn't catechism. Like, but, but for real. And it's not, it's not shame on you. It's shame on our current church culture. Because this is how we teach God's word, right? This is where we put Jesus in the trunk. I don't need Jesus to read my Bible. Oh, you don't, don't you? Because we get stuff like this. Draw near to God and he'll draw near to you. And we don't even put the three dots afterwards to tell people there's a whole chunk that I forgot to put in there. We just end it with the fancy hand-lettered exclamation point. Look at this. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. It gets worse. Be miserable and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned into mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves in the presence of the Lord, and he will exalt you. Boy, we don't like that. Well, hold on a second, Pastor, because the passage in the Old Testament says that he'll turn my weeping into dancing, and he'll turn my mourning into joy. But we put the cart before the horse. Look, y'all, I've, uh, you, some of you, if you've been here a while, you've heard me say this. Research it, Okay. Go in your Bible and research it. I dare you. I double dog dare you. Prove me wrong. Okay? Go back and look. Every single encounter with the Lord. Everyone. When people draw near to God and come into his presence, they do not do so with tambourines and glory flags and stupid smiles on their faces. They are not dancing their way into his glory and, Woo, Jesus, I'm here. They don't do it. Every encounter with God, every step into his presence, they are on their faces, in tears, broken and torn apart because you can't stand in his holiness. You can't stand in his presence and not be humble. The proud cannot come into the presence of God. Number one, he won't allow it. You better believe it. The greatest thing that could happen is you come in your pride to God and he humbles you to the dirt. But the majority of the time, unfortunately, what happens is you come to some version that you've created of God in your pride. You convince yourself that your version of God loves dancing and singing. And so you dance your way right up to this false altar of this God who tells you that you can be friends with him and the world. And you spend your entire life worshiping a lie. Because you don't want to be humble. We approach God humbly or not at all. But the unfathomable thing is when we put the cart behind the horse and we approach him humbly, 
broken over our sin. Weeping and mourning, He becomes the lifter of our heads. He turns our weeping into dancing. He turns our mourning into joy. He does it. But you come to Him humbly and let Him exalt you. James goes on to tell us what this looks like. He says, Do not speak against one another, brethren. He who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge of it. There is only one lawgiver and judge, the one who is able to save and to destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? Don't judge others, y'all. This is the second time James has told us not to judge, right? If God is repeating something, it means you need to pay attention, right? If he said it twice, hear it twice and start doing it, or in this case, not doing it, right? Don't judge others. You love. God has told you from beginning to end. You love. Let him judge. There is one lawgiver and one judge. You are not him. Stop trying to be. This is one thing God has not asked for your help on. He hasn't asked for your opinion, has he? I would really love for him to ask my, my opinion on how to judge some people. Right? Sinful Jeremy. Right? But he hasn't. Let him be the judge. We just love others. We just walk in obedience to God. We disciple with others as the Holy Spirit is discipling with us, right? As the Holy Spirit teaches you, and when he tells you to tell others, then you tell others. But if the Holy Spirit doesn't tell you to say it, zip it, right? Jesus Christ himself says in the Gospel of John multiple times, I only do what I see my father doing, and I only say what I hear my father saying. What gives us the right to make it up as we go, right? The Son of God says, I only do what I see him doing, and I only say what I hear him saying. Lord Jesus, help me, because there is way too much Jeremy that works its way when I talk to people, right? There's way too much Jeremy when I judge people, and I shouldn't be. But part of our problem, if we're going to disciple with others, as the Holy Spirit disciples with us, is we have got to hold on to our plans loosely. Thankfully, James covers that. He says, Come now, you who say today or tomorrow we will go to such and such a city and spend a year there and engage in business and make a profit. Yet you do not know what your life will be like tomorrow. You are just a vapor that appears for a little while and then vanishes away. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and also do this or that. If you needed help with your humility, there it is. You're just a vapor. You are here today. You are gone tomorrow. (laughs) James doesn't hold anything back, does he? But this also ought to help us with our urgency y'all it ought to light a fire under us we don't have a million years to get this right most of us don't have a hundred years to get this right that's why it is so vital that we stop wasting our time doing things man's way doing things my way and we start doing things god's way because you don't know what tomorrow has in store right i mean we learned anything from the whole COVID pandemic thing. <laughs> we don't know what tomorrow holds in store, right? In an absolute instant, everything could change. Everything does change. But we do know the one who does know what tomorrow holds in store. But in order for him to reign, we've got to hold on to our plans loosely. This doesn't say not to make plans, right? It doesn't say that. I know Christians who do that. Well, before I preach, I just, I don't even study anything. I just waltz right up there and I just say whatever comes out. Eee, 
yeah, I wouldn't recommend that. Right? It doesn't say not to plan. It says, make your plans. If the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. Right? Make plans. But hold on loosely. I am embarrassed of the number of times that I have been too busy to do God's will. Anyone? Too many times. God, if I, if I have time, I'll get to it. Lord Jesus, help me. We've got to hold our plans loosely so that when he asks, our answer is immediately yes. We tell our kids this all the time. I don't know if it's theologically actually true, but it's really good for disciplining. But delayed obedience is disobedience, right? Delayed obedience, now, there's some wiggle room in there. You know, there's examples in Scripture where people delayed obedience, Jonah being one, right? And God still eventually got him where he needed him. But delayed obedience is disobedience until it's obedience, right? Don't delay obedience. When God says, go, hold your plans loosely. And then James closes with this. He says, but as it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. Therefore, to one who knows the right thing to do and does not do it, to him it is sin. This is what makes this message so dangerous. You cannot ignore what is right anymore. And I'm sorry. That heavy millstone got put on my neck, and now I'm hanging it on yours. But y'all, God hasn't asked us to carry it alone, right? This burden of the truth that now we have to walk in the truth, he has given us his very own spirit, God himself, to live inside of us to walk this truth out. But we can't ignore it. We can't walk out these doors, and I know that happens a lot on Sundays, right? As soon as you walk out the door, forget everything that was said. You can't forget this. You can't forget it. Because now that you've heard it, you can't unhear it. And now that you've heard it, there's only two ways. You either do it, or you don't. And if you only do it halfway, that's don't. If you only do it 99.9% of the way, that's don't. If you're going to be God's, you have to be all of his. I guess you do have two ways out. If you think I'm an idiot, then I guess it doesn't really matter what I say. If you think I don't hear what God's saying, I guess that's your other way out. If you think either of those things, I don't really know why you're here. An idiot, yes, but I do hear God's voice. And if this is what God is speaking to us, we've got to do it. I love you guys, my church family. I love you far too much to have this church be about anything other than what God's telling us to do. I care too much about our church family. And I hope you do too. Because guys, listen, this isn't, this isn't like a rah-rah, like, I, the churches do this, right? The, the, all the burden gets pushed on the pastor, and well, the pastor's going to run after God, and we can just kind of, that's not how we do things here. And if it's how you signed up, I would highly suggest go somewhere else. Because this burden has to go on you too. I'm not carrying this alone. This isn't my church, right? And it's not like, oh, it's Jeremy and Jesus. No, it's us and Jesus. We are the body of Christ, all of us, which means you have to step up. There is way too much on the line, but this is the line in the sand. There is no turning back after this. Friendship with the world has to end today. Whatever it is that you have been holding on to in this world, Jesus is saying, this is the road. Follow me. And we're holding, and we're holding, and we're holding. You've got to let go today. I was, I was actually going to put in a little, like, five-minute break here. 
where we all just sat quietly and listened to the Holy Spirit. I honestly, y'all, I, as, I'm, as I'm going here, I don't think we need it. Because my, my honest guess is that as we've been going through all of this, the Holy Spirit's already talking to you. The Holy Spirit has already convicted your heart, and you know what that sin is. It, look, uh, me, 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 me. When I wrote this, I knew the moment it dropped. As soon as it moved, I knew. It, like it, we, we can sit here and act like, oh, there's this process of waiting on the Lord. and That's good. Waiting on the Lord is good. But, but there's times when the Holy Spirit speaks, and it, that's, it is what it is, okay? Because my process sometimes, when I'm waiting on the Lord, I'm waiting for him to change his mind, right? Okay, God, yep. You going to change it yet? I can do this, right? Nope. Still? Yep. When he says it, that's it, right? God's word doesn't return to him void. That goes for your sins, too. When the Holy Spirit's put his finger on it, y'all, it's got to go. And my guess is we've all got something right now that you know. God's put his finger on it and said, my child, it has to go. Oh, guys. We have to draw near to God. And to do so, we've got to see that there's one more step to this. 3.5, it's not, not 0.4. Half a point, right? The solution to the solution is the gospel. We all know the gospel, right? Because James tells us, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. And there aren't enough Christians who question that. We should. Because... It's contrary to the gospel, right? Right? Because the gospel says, the gospel says you don't work for your salvation, right? The gospel says you don't do things and earn favor with God, right? The gospel says we love because he first loved us, right? Everything we do is response because he already did. So when we say draw near to God, and he will draw near to you, there should be gospel bells going off saying, whoa, 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 whoa. But that's, it should be the other way, right? God drew near to us. Did James miss the gospel? <laughs> Never, right? He didn't. It's because we miss what happened earlier in this passage. I told you to put a star next to it. James 4, verse 5. It's not our fault. The English translators get shy on this passage, on this verse. The, the Greek here gets translated a little funny, and I think it's because it makes some of us a little nervous if we were to read what's actually going on in the Greek. But it literally says, the Spirit, that's the Holy Spirit, see the capital S, the Holy Spirit, which he has made to dwell in us, lusts with envy. Wait a minute. All right. <laughs> I mean, it's been a while, but seven deadly sins stuff. Lust and envy are sins, right? So there's no way the Holy Spirit does that, right? Yet, over and over again in the Old Testament, God himself introduces himself to the Israelites as a jealous God. Now, in our culture, we almost always associate lust with sexuality, right? Lust is a sexual sin, but it's, it's not the case. Def, by definition, lust is just an extreme desire, right? You can lust after every, anything. It doesn't have to be just sexual in nature. But so, so we've got this extreme desire, and then envy is wanting what you don't have, right? Do you see the gospel, though? Do you see what God is saying to you? Do you see the love of the Father? Because God wants you. He lusts with envy for you because he can't have you. Because I won't let go of the things tying me to this world. 
because I've told him that a bowl of soup is more important than what he's bought me with. The life of Jesus Christ. God has given you his own spirit to live inside of you. But I want all of me for myself. I don't want him to come in here and tell me what I have to do. I've worked hard to build my life my way. And I want to keep doing it my way. I would rather live for myself than for God. I'd rather be friends with the world than friends with God. I would rather do life man's way than God's way. And that absolutely breaks God's heart. The way an adulterous wife breaks a jealous husband's heart. Over and over again in the Old Testament, that is the most common image that God uses for his relationship with Israel. Running after the world's things, running after man's way, and not much has changed, has it? Because we still long after idols. We still give ourselves and our hearts, our souls, our strength to worthless man-made things and ideas and concepts and structures. And yet nothing has changed with God. He is still jealous for you. There is no price that he would not pay to have you back. There is no price that he did not pay to have you back. Jesus Christ gave his life, died a horrific death on a cross, gave up absolutely everything to show you that there is no price his love would not pay. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter where you've been, how you've disobeyed him in the past, ways that you've told him no, things that you've held on to tighter than him, things that you valued more than him. None of it matters anymore. Because God wants you today. He wants you to be entirely His. Stop holding back. Stop sectioning off areas. He jealously desires His Spirit to live inside of you. So what are we waiting for? Right? Isaac Watts is an old pastor he wrote a, a bunch of hymns but one of my favorite hymns uh one of my favorite hymns period but one of my favorite hymns that he wrote is called when i survey the wondrous cross and he ends it so appropriately this way he says were the whole realm of nature mine that were an offering far too small love so amazing so divine demands my soul, my life, my all. To give God anything less than all of you is the most cosmic insult you could ever pay our incredible Savior. Humble yourselves. Die to yourself. Give up your friendship with the world and draw near to your God who has already given everything to draw near to you. We're going to do something a little different today. We typically don't do these here. You know, the old-fashioned altar calls, right? Where you have everybody come up front. But here's the deal. What's James say? Don't just talk about it, right? Do it. So today, let's draw near to God. But I want to draw near to Him physically. So there's nothing magical about like up front here. But what I want you to do is if you are ready to draw near to God, if you're ready to let go of friendship to the world, stand and come up front and just stand across these altars. This is not obligatory. Listen, if you've learned anything from the book of James, do not do it if you're not going to do it, right? Don't come up here and stand here. God knows, right? 
don't come up here and stand here. If you're going to get to work on Monday morning and drop F-bombs and look at porn and do all the things that you were doing before, right? If you are ready to let go of the world, if you are done with friendship with the world, though, respond. What's going on in here comes out physically. That's all an altar call is. There's nothing special about it or anything like that, but we're physically saying, God, this is me in front of all of these people. So if somebody sees Jeremy road raging on Monday, they can pull me to the side and say, Jeremy, you said, right? It's accountability. It's saying we as a body are coming together and we're going to do this. Let go of friendship with the world. Draw near to God. Right? If you're watching online, if you're podcasting, just whatever it takes. Get on your knees right where you're at. But respond physically to show God, I am ready for this. Let's be his church. No more playing games, y'all. Jesus has drawn the line in the sand. We are either 100% his or we're not. Thought, words, deeds run through faith entirely his. Amen? Amen. If you're ready, respond. Thank you for listening to the Gospel House podcast. We pray that you were pointed to Jesus and will apply what you learned to look more like him each and every day. If you found today's message impactful, do us a favor and hit the follow button. Leave us a rating and write up a review to help others find our podcast. You can also help us by sharing the podcast so that together we can show the world that the gospel of Jesus Christ is enough. If you have any questions or comments, we would love to hear from you. Head to our website, www.thegospel.house connect. Fill out the form and someone from our Gospel House family will connect with you. God bless you and remember, the gospel of Jesus Christ is always enough.